Hey everybody, and welcome to the Sunny 16 podcast. How are you all? It's good to speak to you. It's getting a bit Christmassy. There's a song in there somewhere, isn't there? It's started. Never mind. Anyway, uh, we are here. Uh, we are here possibly to, to, to speak at you for the last time this year, unless we all take uh, offence at our family antics over the holidays and decide to get together for a Christmas podcast. Um I'm betting that at least two of us that will speak to you this evening are going to be quite antisocial at some point over the holiday. But which two it is, I'll leave you to guess for yourselves. Um, speaking to antisocial person number one. <laughs> How are you, buddy? I'm not too bad, thank you. Yeah. Um, listen, this is a perfect Christmas for me because we're being told that basically we shouldn't go near anyone. So winner. I know, it's brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely is. It's a get out of seeing people free cards. It's fantastic. Oh boy. I mean, you know, after last year was so much fun. I was just heading towards this Christmas thinking, please let there be a new variant. Please let there be a new variant. And here we are. Yay! Well, I may not go so far because there may be some people out there listening to this show that are having very bad experiences. So I apologise for you because I know we, you, we know I, that there are. I, I know that you don't mean that in the way that it comes across. No, no. <laughs> um, but I will say yes, it de- definitely. Um, since since the world just uh, and the other people in the world became a flat screen, you know, two feet in front of me on the other side of my desk, um, that does speak very favourably to my inner sociopath. Mm. Um, and uh, you know what, with me being the only real person on the planet and all and the rest of you being either figments of my imagination or just puppets for me to play with um (laughs) (laughs) anyway moving swiftly on speaking of figments of your deranged imagination it's claire (laughs) (laughs) hello good evening nice to be here just for the record, Claire, mm. I was thinking you might be the one who actually enjoys socialising with her family at Christmas. Yeah, I do, actually. I really do. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a bit behind with all things Christmas. Yeah. Um, we need to let the listeners yeah. know your tree is still not up. I know. It is a it, week we... till Christmas and I your know. bloody tree is not there. <laughs> and I was planning. I was actually thinking, you know, I want to have it up on the first, but it's going up tomorrow, Graham. So I'll keep it up for you. Um extra long we have a tree up now in our house it's just not (laughs) in the background of my shot because it's not in my study so it's in the living room where christmas trees usually are in people's Mm. houses i guess Mm. um so yeah it's nice to have a christmas tree Mm. i like christmas trees and it's what's your favorite christmas song by the way because they're all everywhere aren't they in all the shops and on the radio mine is fairy tale of new york I have to go. I have to say, I I absolutely do my bestest to never go into shops. <laughs> I hate shops, <laughs> and apart from maybe camera shops yeah. <laughs> and art galleries. Favorite Christmas song: Fairy Tale of New York is definitely mm, up there. That's my favorite. Um, it, it is. It is a good one. Um, in the same way that you know, I don't. I'm not a massive fan of the the very uh, twee christmas mm. movies you know um so what's my favorite christmas i don't know um uh what what's the 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 one with uh wish i was at home for christmas what's that one called the one that was um i can never remember what it's called anyway never mind <laughs> the one with the bells in it oh no they all have bells <laughs> no, it doesn't narrow it down no it was set in the set in the first world war i think that song also mm-hmm. weirdly um i think the guy's name was jonah i can't remember but he was he he was 
I always thought he was a bit of a one hit wonder, but he also had another like single hit, which is called You'll Always Find Me in the Kitchen at Parties. Do you know that song? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's the Not- same guy who did that. Right. I'm going to have to look up the um, I wish I was at home for Christmas. Wish I was at home for Christmas. You know the song. Yeah, we know the song. Mm-hmm. For Christmas. Yeah, there we go. So what's his name? Right. The- in the in the kitchen, you know it, right? Uh, apologies to all listeners. Just in general, I just uh, put that as <laughs> quietly running behind. Stop us. the cavalry. That's what it's called. Oh, yeah. And his name was Jonah Louis, right? So it's because the the stop the cavalry is. A, oh yeah, it is the, the lyric is in the song. Now mm. I look at it, right? So if I Google Jonah Louis. Are we are we we are recording, aren't we? Yeah, that's not right. Uh, actually, no. I stopped about t- twenty seconds into the no, show. No, don't do that. There'll be like a continuity error or something like that. <laughs> You're right? a continuity error. <laughs> I'm not. I'm speaking continuously. <laughs> uh, Touche. <laughs> anyway, weirdly, yes, he was best known for his 1980 UK hits. You'll always find me in the kitchen at parties and stop the cavalry. They were in the same year. How bizarre is that? Who knew? <laughs> Not terribly bizarre. It'd be weird if they'd been like 20 years apart. Um, I'm going to say, like, there's a couple of... Um, I went through a phase of trying to hunt down uh, weird and um, slightly less well-known Christmas songs a few years ago. Uh, a couple of favourites were Zombie Christmas. That's very good. And um, Jesus the Reindeer, another real banger. <laughs> it's Jesus great. The Jesus the Reindeer is great. Uh, but actually, like my mainstream, I think one of the songs that when I hear it come on... Oh, it's not a song. Uh, is it a song it's a carol anyway it's actually a carol i love the carol of the bells i love that tune it's definitely my favorite christmas carol and it might be actually my favorite thing to hear at christmas because it's just got i don't know it's just it's uh when i was at the um blenheim christmas lights last year they it's music and lights together and they had some of the show you know the displays to music and it's just i love that yeah carol of the bells classic carol (laughs) Mm. as opposed uh-huh. to a Karen that's a good thing right or is a Carol a Christmas Karen let's move on <laughs> <laughs> do we, should we do Christmas movies then what are your favourite Christmas yeah. movies I really do you know what I love I love The Wizard of Oz <clears throat> goes, goes back to childhood it's always on the telly over Christmas yeah it and was even though I it, own yeah. it on a DVD there's something really magical about watching it when it's actually on <laughs> scheduled in the TV yeah yeah just just like um yeah, and they always usually put Columbo's on as well over Christmas, <laughs> don't they? First thing in the morning. Uh, everybody, take a Christmas <laughs> drink. Claire mentioned Columbo. <laughs> but yeah, I think for me, I, I really associate The Wizard of Oz with Christmas. And I love that film. I never tire of it. I think it's great. It was ahead just, of its time. I haven't watched it for donkey oh, years. Yeah. It was ahead of its time, I think. Well, given that it was made in about 1947, it kind of like absolutely was, wasn't it? it was mm. some, somewhere in the 1940s, I mm. think it was made. Um, you know, quite quite baffling, really, in some ways, to think that they made a film like that with, with all in, in bright colour and what have you. And, and you know, because the 1940s weren't really well known for their surrealism, were they? I mean, of course, you have like the whole sort of Parisian surrealism scene of the 1920s and 1930s, you know, with, like, headed by Man Ray. And then you have the sort of 60s psychedelic surrealism and, and everything yeah. that's come from there. But the 1940s were a pretty, pretty straight-laced decade, I think, weren't they, in most mm. places? 
Anyway, Graham, what about you? Do you have a favourite Christmas movie? Mm, um, this is maybe a weak source one. I was, I was trying to think when you asked because nothing immediately sprung to mind. Maybe the closest I can get is I do quite like A Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's Nightmare Oh, Before that's Christmas. a good choice. Yeah. You know, it's great tunes, good times. I do like that. Uh, and the Doctor Who Christmas special, ofs. I am. Um, <laughs> so a friend of mine pointed out to me that you can get a 30-day free trial for BritBox, this streaming TV service of um, British TV. As I'd heard of, I was like, I don't care. And then he went, you do know that all the Doctor Who is on there. And I mean all the Doctor Who. So okay, for the next 30 days, I'm just going to be trying to basically mainline all the Doctor Who. <laughs> So, so watch the watch the early ones because all the modern ones uh, are on iPlayer. Mm. Oh yeah, I'm so, so you, I'm, so I'm in black get... and white land with William Hartnell at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was great. trying to. So, so my boy is watching them all through at the moment. He's just got to the end of David Tennant. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so he's got Matt Smith to start now, um, and of course, a lot Lucky of uh, one of the. Yeah, lucky kid. Yeah, one of the because he's watching them all for the first time, and I sit with him and watch them bits and bobs of them occasionally. Oh yeah, I remember this. This is cool. Um, but the yeah, David Tennant, um, uh, Bernard Cribbins was mm-hmm. one of his helpers, mm-hmm. and I was trying to explain to Patrick, my my boy, uh, that um, that Bernard Cribbins it wasn't his first time in Doctor Who. Because he was the doctor's assistant in the 1960s, like really early. And I can't remember whether it was the TV series or the original TV movie of Doctor Who. Mm. Uh, but Bernard Cribbins, as a, as a young man, um, was was in, in Doctor Who in the 60s. I love that uh, you were trying to explain this to your son, mm. who I can absolutely guarantee could not have given less of a shit. Oh, <laughs> he no, no, no. Going, no, he, cool, no, Dad. He loves all this cool stuff. Story. <laughs> He has a Doctor Who encyclopedia and and stuff like that, and he loves to read all this stuff. He he, when he's into something, he really likes to read all into it. So mm-hmm. you know, yeah, when he was into Pokemon, he read he had like Pokemon encyclopedias that he would just pour over. Even when he was into Star Wars, he was he would be reading Star Wars encyclopedias, and he could tell you everything about every weapon and every character and yeah, all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So he loves. It. He loves all. Oh, yeah, he's definitely like like mainlining Doctor Who himself mm-hmm. at the moment. Well, there you go. Time to go back and watch the, because like I said, those old black and white ones. <laughs> it's a different time I'll, I'll, for TV. So, so. I'll put one shout out for a black and white film for Christmas, and that's It's a Wonderful Life. That's a lovely film. Okay. That, I haven't, there's another one I haven't watched for <laughs> a long, long time. Right. Okay. Here we go. So, Doctor Daleks Invasion, uh, Daleks Invasion Earth, twenty one fifty A.D. Right, was a movie, a Doctor Who movie, in made in nineteen sixty six, starring well, Bernard Cribbins, not as not as <laughs> Doctor Who, but Bernard Cribbins was in it, and. I don't think I knew. Th- I should have known this. No. Peter Cushing played Doctor oh, Who. Really, Peter Cushing played Doctor Who. I didn't Peter know that. Peter Cushing. No, I, I, if I'd, I, if I'd been asked, I would have said it was William Hartnell. But I, but Peter Cushing played Doctor Who, and Bernard Cribbins played a character called Tom oh. Campbell. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, listeners. We are currently researching technology to lock AIDS Google function up when we're recording. Uh, there's, there's a link. 
there isn't. Is there? No, there isn't really, is there? No. no. Other than you said that Doctor Who was your favourite Christmas movie. Yeah. Although it's funny thing, like watching. I do find that watching, especially watching black and white TV movies, whatever it is. I do find that I'm thinking much more about it from a photography point of view. Maybe because uh, the particular okay. Doctor Who, it is so bare bones and basic in some way. And, but you're really looking at the lighting and stuff like that and thinking, how are they doing this? And then sometimes yeah. going, oh, pretty badly, yeah. turns out. Mm. Um, but yeah, <laughs> in a way that I, I, I think with modern cinema, it's actually much harder to, for somebody who knows very little about it, much harder to kind of look at the lighting and try and read it because it's so well done, it all feels very mm. natural. Whereas when you're mm-hmm. watching older stuff, you can you can see, oh, you know, they're blocking lights out here and they're doing stuff because because it's not as, uh, especially on low well, budget low budget TV. stuff. Yeah, mm. low budget stuff. You definitely yeah. can. Yeah, it was interesting. Um, but but lighting techniques have become more subtle over time in some ways. I mean, if you think about like. You know, the days, you know, long time ago when you when you'd have you know, a black and white movie and you'd have like a heavily barn doored light and it would mm. just light across the person's face. A bit, a bit like yeah. what happened to Claire right now. Yeah. You know, <laughs> um, you know, that, that, you know, the lighting was a, a very obvious feature. Like, and mm. it was it was uh, and lighting design. I mean, that was a, uh, I guess, a genre of lighting design, wasn't it? I suppose you could call it. Um, and it is a bit different these days a lot of it is is supposed yeah a lot of it is uh they work very hard to make sure the light is motivated and stuff like that don't they so it's 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 tricky to to see hang on sorry what they work hard to make sure that the lighting is motivated okay yes i'll take your word for it i don't know what that sentence means uh, so I've probably got the wrong vocabulary. But, so people who are listening to this are probably laughing at me at my my misuse of the vocabulary for this. But motivated lighting is is let's say um, you have your in your shot there is a window, right? Uh, and so that's a naturally light point in the shot. You will find that your character is lit from that side to make it look like the lighting that they're adding is coming from the window. Mm. Okay. That's what I mean by motivated lighting. And apologies if I've got the vocab wrong. I'm not very Talking technical. Lighting, I'm going to just do one final shout out. <laughs> Mr. James, they usually have them on the TV every Christmas. Mr. James, Ghost Stories for Christmas. They they're brilliant. They're brilliant. They usually have one on every night or something. I if don't you, know if, that if one. you see them, they're really worth watching. Is Mr. James an author then? Or? Yeah. All right. Okay. Turned into like. Um, a series of kind of short films, really. Um, cool. I think in, in the seven, they're brilliant. Um, so if you see them, eight on the TV schedule, watch them. Is and it like Tales of the Unexpected? Sit, sit in the light of your Christmas tree lights or with a candle. Oh, you've got to set the atmosphere. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but so, they are good, they are really sounds are interesting. So, anyway, excellent. Okay. Well, there we go. That's got us through the introduction to the show. Uh-huh. <laughs> the end. That, that's weeded out the weak listeners from the strong, yeah. Yeah, that's a very good way. Yes, yeah. It's uh, maybe this. Uh, maybe this one should go behind our paywall. <laughs> <laughs> it's only for the really dedicated listeners. Only for the really, really sick and desperate for um, for something to listen to. Yeah, absolutely. You've got a topic for this week, Aid, haven't you? I do. I do. Good segue. Thank you. <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> Smoothly transitioned. 
<laughs> yeah, I was going to talk about the lighting of Doctor Who um, as, a, as our topic for this week. No, um, yeah, so so the, yeah, I, I thought we'd talk about some photography this week. Um, and whilst that, whilst that might sound blindingly obvious and also quite surprising at the same time, because we don't often talk you know, uh, about... Uh, it, about other people's photography of course we have guests and things like that but um i thought this week we talk about uh some mm. famous or yeah, yeah famous maybe i was going to say household names but maybe not all of the ones that we've chosen to talk about are household names but mm. all like legitimately recognized famous photographers in their own right and talk about uh what we like about their work and maybe what we don't like and uh whether there or not they might be a contentious choice or whether they you know or whether everybody's going to agree because because you have to because we're all photography lovers that that ansel adams was overrated oh no sorry sorry <laughs> ansel adams was not overrated not in the slightest i promise <laughs> anyway See, this I get is your there? idea, Aid. Go on, when you kick us off with okay. one of your choices. So, so I have two, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I might do that. I might go around a bit and like not do my two straight away, just me. But I have two. One, one um, who people might say is is blindingly obvious and a bit of a cliche, right? It's my first one, and so uh, I, I make no apology actually for this because it is a photographer that is quite influential on me and whose work. Mm-hmm. I keep coming back to year after year after year. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that's that. That's the reasoning behind it. Whether people like it, whether people call it cliched or not, um, or whether they call it dull and boring or not, um, on my first photographer is William Eggleston. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, which, if people have been listening to this podcast for a long time, um, might might know that I've spoken about eggleston in the past um uh eggleston amongst other things uh was the first person ever to have a an exhibition of color photography at moma and in i think 74 72 something like that it was a while ago anyway um uh and uh you know also often considered to be famous for taking photographs of absolutely nothing or random ish compositions uh and what have you um and uh and all of those things are true, <laughs> yeah. and uh, which is possibly uh, why I, I find it so compelling. It's like, well, mm. what do I like about his photography? You know, you know, even if you just Google like William Eggleston and yeah. go to the first page that you find, which is, which in my case was the Eggleston Art Foundation, um, which is you know, the the organisation that represents him, I guess, and represents his art. Um, or his photography. People might not agree that it's art, of course. Um, you know, on the very front page, there's some really famous photographs. There's a photograph of the red ce- the red ceiling. There's a photograph of the old lady in a very fl- floral pattern dress, sitting on a very floral pattern sofa, and sort of almost sinking into it. There's yeah, th- there's a number of things, right? Um, uh, there's just so many, uh, so many of these famous photos, and you look at them, you go, oh, I, yeah, I've I've seen that before, and I've seen that one before, and I've seen that one before, and. Uh, I just think it's, it, it, I don't know, I, it, I, I struggle to describe why I keep coming back uh, to this stuff. I do like the, the colours, yeah. but that seems like a really simplistic thing to say, isn't it? <laughs> oh, aren't those lovely colours? <laughs> no, I think his use of colour is it's really striking, isn't it? That's because you look at them and that's the first thing you notice, and his compositions, and his subject matters, the whole lot, isn't just, it? Just those are just the first uh, things that you notice, all of the picture. <laughs> <laughs> 
But I mean, I'm just looking at one of his images here and it's a lady. It looks like it might be from the 50s or something. And she's like in a diner and we just see her from behind. Oh, uh, yeah, I know the one. I don't even need to see it. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. you yes. know the one. Listeners yes. might know the one. So it's like a mink. It's sort of like a mink green diner. And she's sat behind so you can see her hair pinned up and she's got a cigarette. I mean, I know I use the word cinematic a lot, or maybe mm. overuse it, but it really mm. is. Isn't it? You know, it really is. It's a great shot. It is, yeah, that that's quite a, a well known shot of his. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as uh, it, it is, yeah, it's that, and it's like, well, yeah, and sometimes you look and you think, well, anybody could take that shot, <laughs> and it, and then you think, actually, yeah, but maybe not. I mean, years ago, I saw a a, a YouTube video, uh, a, a photographer. I can't even remember who it was. Um, a, a photographer who had a YouTube channel who made a a, a video about. Um, spending the day essentially having a photo walk with William Eggleston right. or having a chat with him out in a park or something like yeah. that. And then and then Eggleston went and took a photograph of a litter bin, right, yeah, full of litter. Mm. And uh, and this guy thought, he said, and he's going through this, telling this story in the video as well after. She said, oh, excellent, this is my chance, right? I've just seen William Eggleston go and take a photograph of a bin. I can go and take a photograph of the same bin at the same time, right? And and I can and I can learn what it means to take a shot, and I can take a shot just as good as him. He said, and I got my shot back, and I compared it to his, and mine was rubbish, and his was excellent. Mm. <laughs> so uh, it's... In a lot of walks, in a lot of like um, professions, this is photography, I think um, people make whatever you do, whether it's music or I don't know, if you're a model or something, people think, oh, I could do that because they make it look effortless and easy, but it isn't. And I think that's the talent, isn't it? But these images are just... I think yeah, and I think in some cases some education because because Eggleston, uh, I think, had studied art uh, mm. and, and studied, I think, composition mm. and painting as well uh, yeah. as well yeah. as being a photographer. So I think you can kind of see that in his work. In in some of it, you can yeah, yeah. definitely yeah. for sure yeah, um, uh, and a bit way I suppose in a way that you know um, Cartier Bresson would say similar right you know studied art and started out as a painter before he became yeah. a photographer. Um, you know, different eras, of course, separated by thirty odd years, perhaps twenty years at the very least. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, just just interesting. Yeah, just really interesting. I mean, Graham. I mean, you you might very quiet, but do you remember going to see an exhibition uh, of William Eggleston's in London? Which was when did we do that? That was. Mm. Five must, years ago? Yeah, four years five, ago? It must be four, yeah, four or five years ago. I think we'd started doing the podcast by then, so it had been 2017, probably. It was early in the year. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I very strongly re remember it because it was the first time I was introduced to his work. Um, and it, it's great. His work really is great. Um, I think I was talking uh, to Simon Forster about photography and stuff in general, and I think he recently had a conversation uh with a guy uh, on the large format photography podcast with a guy called um Clyde Butcher who is a fine art printer black and white large format photographer fine art printer and he this um Clyde Butcher had said that the thing about color photography is that the the picture is kind of finished once you've taken the picture whereas with black and white photography there's the whole, the print is the art afterwards but I think mm. with with um, Eggleston's work, 
it wasn't because he the work he put in with the process his colors i mean the color is so important and mm. they they are extra life colors they are more than real colors he brings the yeah. world into life in a way that is more than just here's what i saw it's you know the, the techniques that he's used along with the materials that he's used um and combined with his eye for seeing how these colors are playing off each other and working together creates something truly stunning i don't i think he is um i think he's unique his or at least in terms of the success that he has had i i don't i can't think of anybody else who's produced work like his uh, it is it is interesting isn't it? i mean as, as we sit here in the 21st century with oodles of computing power at our fingertips and and with the ability to very quickly and easily make colors do whatever we want mm. you know the colors the colors can dance for us right we have mm. we have the technology um that was not the case in the early 1970s um yeah. and, and eggleston yes you're absolutely right he 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 was very involved in the printing process um, and used what at that time were fairly novel printing techniques uh, that had never been used in the art world before. I think they'd been used mm -hmm. in the, I think he drew the advertising world um, for some of the techniques that he used, if I remember correctly, um, uh, and using techniques like dye sublimation printing and stuff like that, which mm. were just not done in photography at the time. Um, mm. So in that sense, it was, uh it was oh it's breaking new ground i guess you know mm. which but it, yeah it's 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 interesting it's, and it's, he's got a great eye though hasn't he for for color and color combinations I, I that work that, really yes. well. yeah. so for instance the, the, you know the yellow the yellow car i don't know what it's like a cadillac or whatever with the yellow kind of against the yellow i don't know wall or garagey thing and then it's, it's yeah. that yellow brown combination he's got a really good eye i think for color and color combinations and then you add in he's got a really great eye for composition hasn't he mm, yes yeah, really yeah. really so um, i think you know everything uh, works really strongly and i think one of the interesting things with his stuff is that because it, it, it it's one of these kind of givens that we all just accept is that one of the things about black and white photography which can make it appealing is that it gives a layer mm. of abstraction from the real world because all color mm. is removed and so you're already a step away from reality but because of the way that he composes with the color and the strong and the, the nature of the things that he chooses to photograph and the color the way the color is blocked mm. within them and composed the pictures are actually quite abstract little slices i mean um, even even looking at a fairly straightforward picture of um, a just a woman on the street, but the colour in this green outfit yeah. that she's wearing and the way, it, again, the colour is what is commanding the scene. It, it, so if you kind of relax your eyes a bit, it starts to become, you know, you can kind of lose the definition and the detail, which is all there, and it just becomes like an, a, an impressionist picture if you just kind of let it. It's... it's um. It's a really impressive, I'm not going to say trick. It, it is. And for me, it's interesting as well that, it, you know, uh, and probably not a coincidence um, that, you know, this this use of colour in, in photography and the recognition, or at least the partial recognition that mm -hmm. colour photography might be considered art, that, that it came uh, at a point 
uh, and let's say you know in the early 1970s have it having lived through the late 60s and early 1970s i mean it was a very colorful time right <laughs> so, you know uh yeah people with experimenting with with their dress uh, and their lifestyles and things like that and a whole bunch of uh, well, what at the time was called freedom. I mean, you know, I wasn't there myself, so I don't know whether mm. what it was like living it real. But the stories that people tell, uh, you know, time of freedom, a time of expression, a time of you know, exploration, that kind of thing, and also very, very colourful. So, you know, uh, it, I can't imagine somebody even have been able to make these kinds of photographs in, let's say, the 1950s, when yeah. I'm reasonably confident the world was in colour in the 1950s, but but maybe not so vibrantly as it was in the 1970s. <laughs> No, no, the world mm. came into colour in the in the forties uh, when um uh, when um what was that the Wizard of Oz was Wizard made. Of Oz, yeah, we all saw <laughs> <Yeah>. it happen. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we go. Yeah, it is. It's um, yeah. Anyway, and and you know the the influence that that Augusta would have had, you know, on on his peers and on the people that come after him. So you know, when when I see the photography of of Stephen Shaw and of Martin Parr. Uh, and maybe Gregory Crudson, um, mm. you know, uh, and I, I don't know whether they, those three would would, would claim uh, or or admit to have been influenced by anything that Eggleston has done. But it's yeah, for me, there are there are vis visual cues yeah. to to link those things together and link those artists together. But yeah. Mm. Anyway, that was that was my first go, right? We got we we can move on because there's there's plenty of people to talk about. Plenty of people have made good photographs, um, but uh, yeah, Claire, what what about you? Who have you got for us? Okay, well, I'll, I don't know which one to go with first, but anyway, I'll go with um, my first choice is Diane Arbus because I really I really love her work. Um, so I love. Um, for if there are listeners that don't know Diane Arbus's work, so she did a lot of people photos of people. I think a lot was in New York, wasn't it? In the in the fifties and sixties, and um, she gravitated towards a lot of people that lived on the fringes. So she did a lot of circus performers, people who were considered, and I don't like this word, but you know they were considered freaks. Yeah, <laughs> um, and she did a lot of like strippers and circus performers, and then just stopped interest. Really, I think really interesting people in the streets. So I, I actually really like her eye, and and the, the the people that she 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 focused on. Um, and again, I thought not only did she have a great eye for the people that she chose to photograph that she found interesting. Um, again, her compositions. Um, so I'm just thinking of the the picture I'm um, thinking of is um, that people might know is you know the twins, the twin girls. Mm -hmm. um, a really famous picture of hers, isn't it? So the twin girls in exactly the same dresses and the way they're done. It's a great photograph, and I think it's been obviously really, really influential because I think that Stanley Kubrick was probably influenced by that in in the in the in the Shining you know, back up in 1980s. So a lot of really great work that she did. And, you know, there's the young lad as well. Um, you'll know the image, holding the toy hand grenade. Do you know the one I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's just his expression on that photo. And I, I, re I read about that and apparently she'd stopped him. She thought he looked interesting. And I don't know, how, how old would he be? About eight nine i don't yeah, know yeah something like that yeah um, he apparently he was getting and i've seen the contact um 
the contact print for that role of film and he was getting really impatient with her apparently and telling her to hurry up oh, really? and yeah. a combination of him getting impatient and everything led to that kind of really great capture that um, we all know um, but I actually saw, um, and she's interesting as well, I think, because she was married to a photographer, wasn't she, who had a kind of studio and um, and, 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 and what have you. Um, but I think, I don't know whether um, he he was, I don't know how, how she was perceived in the time. But um, a lot, yeah, so I really like her subject matter. And I saw um, there was a retrospective of her work a few about I don't know how many years ago before lockdown <laughs> so when was that 20 everything's before lockdown <laughs> maybe maybe about 2018 or something like that maybe 19 I don't know it was in London um and I went and it was really really good to see it all there you know and um in fact there was one of my favorite photos from the exhibition that I saw wasn't actually a person she had all this fabulous you know people from the streets of new york but there was one picture i really liked which was basically um a lounge from the sort of probably about 1960 and it had like the tv of the time and it had it was christmas time so it had like tinsel and the tinsel looked of its time and it was just such a great photograph so her work her work her as a photographer she interests me and her work i think um, and her eye, you know, and the, the you know the people in 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 masks, isn't it? She did a lot of people um, with like learning disabilities, and they had masks on. And I love and and she does those really because um, she used to. I think she started off on a with thirty five mil cap with a thirty five mil um, Nikon camera, and then she moved to a one twenty, didn't she? Um, but she does a lot of great close ups as well. And one of my other favourite pictures of her is, do you know the one with the woman in the, is she in the lounge? Um, and she looks a bit like Diana Dawes and she's got that part, the very hair of the time, blonde like hair. A beehive hair. Okay. Yeah, beehive, that's the word, yeah. <laughs> and um, and then she's got a little dog, which is like a poodle, which looks like, and the, the way they just sat next to each other with almost looking like the same hair, I think it's a great picture. <laughs> and then she's got those... Um, those ladies that are like really glamorous, those old ladies that are really glamorous, and are they out having like afternoon tea or something? I've got to find the photo. Just great pictures, really great, you know, great eye. Um, you know, so, so maybe some of the some of the subject matter people would walk past, but you know, she saw interest, and I think they are really interesting subject matters. So, I'm just trying to. It's interesting with with her because I mean. On, uh, looking at stuff because I, I mean I've seen some of her pictures before, obviously, but there's mm. this thing of you know she normalised people on the margins. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't think I don't think she necessarily did that. I'll be honest. I think what she did was normalised photographing people on the margins, and mm. I I think that's a bit of a mixed legacy um, because boy has that come a kind of go to in in today's day and age isn't it like this this thing of seeking out people who are not within the norm and taking pictures and whether that can become exploitative or mm. I, I saw a thing this week and this can be very vague because i'm but i saw a, a, a brouhaha blowing up on twitter because a photographer a french photographer had been 
uh, I can't remember where, but been to another country and taken pictures of a 15-year-old girl who was in uh, a poor situation. I, I'm afraid the details are really scant because I only caught the controversy mm. about it. And then has come and, and asked the parents if the parents were okay with her using this image, but then come back and are using this image of this 15-year-old girl to promote fundraising for um, this for where these people are um but also obviously raising the photographer's profile as well and the this argument is like if this was a 15 year old girl in your own country you would not be using her image in this way um Mm. and if it was a 15 year old girl in this country the parents would not be okay with you doing this are you okay going to somebody who is marginalized and taking advantage of it i i don't have an opinion one way or the other Mm -hmm. because i haven't thought about it enough but there is this thing of and her pictures are um there's a great quote on the wikipedia page from the the father of the twins and the quote is it's a terrible picture like why did she make them look all ghostly (laughs) and it's like yes this is what photographers do Mm. they are capturing what they want to capture so she's gone there and taken this picture of this marginalized family but she is representing them in through her lens in the way that she wants yeah. to that's not necessarily a bad thing but it's a thing um when i when i look at her pictures though this is what i pick up i feel like i i, I obviously I, i'm a fan of hers so i'm biased but i i think she's got a great eye because i wonder how many people wouldn't even notice these people they just walk past them they wouldn't even capture them on the radar and when I see them, I don't see her exploiting these people. I think she's just genuinely got a genuine interest and, you know, like a love oh, for them. Yeah, no. I think they're lovely pictures. And I'm just looking now. This is the picture I was talking about. Isn't this just great? I love old people. I, I, I've always loved... Look at these two. They're just great, for the, aren't for the they? listeners, Claire's Charming. holding her phone up to the um, camera yeah, again. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not saying that she... I don't think Diane Arbus was going out with a view to exploiting yeah. these people at all. Um, but I think it's maybe set in place... It get kicked off a bit of a... I don't know. Um, and I think her work is interesting. But she, she was, you know... I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a skill. I think it's she had a she had such a she had an eye for certain people that I I reckon a lot of people would just not even not even give them the time of day. You know, it's like that Smith song, isn't it? What is it? Fifteen minutes with you. People see no worth in you, but I do. And I think that's what she did. She had such a great eye and thinking. Look at them over there. No one's taking notice, but they're just visually they're interesting, aren't they? And they they look like characters. Yeah. And um, yeah, so I love it, and it was such a great exhibition that was in London. You know, yeah, no, her work is certainly very striking. Um, it really is, but yeah, it's interesting, interesting woman. Okay, uh, yeah, go on then. Who's I, up next for you? Who's up next for me? Okay, all right. So, uh, well, um, so whereas eggleston is a photographer that i i've known his work i've got at least one book on the shelf uh if not more uh for for years and keep coming back to uh my next photographer is somebody who well i have been uh, aware of for for some years but only in the most marginal sense 
um i think i like sort of knew one thing about her <laughs> and that mm -hmm. was it uh, and and the one thing i knew about her was that uh, she was one of the very first people to photograph kate moss uh, when mm -hmm. kate moss was a teenager um uh, uh, and so uh, people, well, from that description, people may have guessed the name already or something, mm -hmm. but, but this is Corinne Day, mm -hmm. um, who um, uh, I, I would love to, I'd love to try and summarize, you know, her, her, her position and things or her, her life or anything like that. I, I, I couldn't do it. It's, it's just crazy. If you go to, to, to the website, corinneday.co.uk um, and read the, the, the biography and then the autobiography page i mean done so many things and and you know covered so much ground and you know incredible uh incredible body of work um you know she photographed actors and, and musicians she did a lot of fashion photography uh you know uh, other things as well um and yeah you know, yes she's famous for uh kate for for taking photographs of kate moss and kate moss was, was sort of just been listed on a model agency's books but hadn't really done any work yet and she was you know just 15 years mm -hmm. old and uh and what have you and and uh you know corinne day you know photographed her and that that started a, a collaboration between the two of them that that uh, went on for for many years and became a famous thing. She was also uh, a photographer in the sort of heroin chic genre for for a while, um, uh, and suffered, I think, a little bit uh, of the backlash of uh, yeah, when hero heroin chic became a thing. And you know, it's like really, you're just taking photographs of incredibly skinny children, aren't you? And and this is not a good thing, you know, for, for those of us that remember. Uh, when when that was a thing, um, but you know, had an an extraordinary uh, life. Um, lived lived in uh, in Soho in London, I think, uh, from what I've been able to research um, uh, for a chunk of that time, um, and, and met all sorts of people and worked with all sorts of people. Um, uh, things I I would draw your attention to, um, you know, some of the 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 fashion work. Um, mm -hmm. The thing for me is that somehow she can she 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 she's for me it's sort of two two types of photo. There's some stuff that you know you would really expect to see in, in a fashion magazine. She did a lot of work for Vogue in in various different countries, you know, mm -hmm. in China, Japan, uh, Britain, Italy. Um, so a lot of her work published in Vogue, and some of it absolutely looks like the sort of stuff, the sort of very clean very high you know, high fashion somewhat dull to me <laughs> photography that you might expect to see in a glossy magazine and others of it just looks like it's come from out of nowhere right mm. it, it's really raw and uh you know uh, really um just just really just really raw uh, that's the best word i can yeah. find and really expressive and, and if you read the stories a lot of it was shot in in people's you know you know run down flats in the middle of london and stuff like that you know with very little equipment and, and very you yeah. know, just sort of you know collaborative things on the spur of the moment um, and 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 for me that's that's the the, the side of her photography mm -hmm. that, that most jumps out and um, one of the things i think is is another thing that's jumped out to me is is that whatever the work it doesn't seem to have um, 
this is going to sound really blindingly obvious, but but you notice uh, that there doesn't seem to be a male gaze at play here, mm. right? Mm. Um, and <laughs> obviously, apart from the fact that she's a female, or was I should say, a female photographer, mm. um, yeah, which which makes it a, a bloody stupid thing to say, quite frankly. Uh, I'll try and explain what I mean by that. Um, you know, she seemed to have this ability to do this high high glossy fashion stuff without it looking exploitative she could uh, and in the in the raw photographs I mean, she had very close friendships and collaborations with with, with some of her her subjects uh, over a long period of time and so she she had this ability to take you know uh, a photograph mm. of uh you know a, a beautiful young very successful model you know possibly with little to no clothes on but not mm. make it exploitative you know, you know, uh, and that's, you know, that that for me is something that comes from from her work as well. I mean, especially if you consider, you know, if, the, if this was the time she was shooting in, you know, in the nineties and mm. uh, you know, uh, as uh, the eighties, eighties and nineties. Actually, mm. a lot of her work, that her her famous work, actually, is in the in the nineties and um, and into the two thousands. Mm-hmm. Uh, she died in in twenty ten, I think, um, and. Uh, you know, the, at that time, of course, yeah, we're talking about the time of like lots of men's magazines and and women sprawled over cars in bikinis and stuff like that, aren't you? Like FHM and and stuff like that. So to to be able to do something that it was different and raw in those times, I think, you know, and get it published um, is is quite an achievement. Anyway, as I say, that's probably going to sound really vague, and I'm probably missing out some really mm-hmm. important things because you know, although I was aware of her and in in a very sort of ta- um, very lightweight way, and that she'd done this early work with, with Kate Moss, um, mm-hmm. I, I there's so so much of it I'm still learning. So so forgive me, listeners, if if I've missed huge swathes of important stuff I should be saying about Corin Day, but definitely I, I really uh, like her work. I really like her work, and it, I think it featured a lot in the Face magazine, didn't it? In it the, did. The- yes, that was one of the publications where she started to yep. get famous. Yeah. yeah. And um, I think, do you think that she's possibly was influenced by Nan Golding? Because some of it has a touch <laughs> of the Nan Golding's work, doesn't it? Because we've all been influenced by, aren't we? We're all influenced, and it, yeah. it some of, some of it has that mm. absolutely has that rawness to it. Um, yeah. uh, it's. Yeah, whether it's by design or by necessity or or by you know accident and just getting caught up in the moment and let's take some photographs, <laughs> it's difficult to say. Um, Nan Golding definitely had a lot to say, didn't she, with her photography? Yeah. yeah. And from from my research, uh, I, I'm not sure that Corinne Day had so much to, that she felt that she you know burning to say. Um, like maybe it. she did and it's just not something i've uncovered yeah. but but i, but, really work. I think it's great yeah i mean it's, sorry go ahead as i just said I, I really like her work i think it's a great choice to bring to the podcast <laughs> yeah well thank you yeah and and it's yeah it's just and the breadth of it is the of the styles as well it's mm. like you can tell where it's like you know where she shot covers for vogue of scarlett johansson right and yeah. it looks all very clean and 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 mm. you know just like you'd expect a cover of vogue to look like and then you can go and look at some of the 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 uh well and a lot of the fashion work you know similarly mm-hmm. but then if you go and look at some of the work that she's done 
um, you know, with actors um, uh, uh, and musicians, um, <laughs> you just think it's it's almost like it's from a different person. But of course, it's not. It's it's the same person, and she's just you know incredibly talented and versatile. <laughs> Anyway, there we go. That's that's Corin Day. Um, you know, uh, I look forward to to researching this more and learning more about her work because uh, I'm only part way through that. Good stuff. Yeah, lovely work. Really lovely work. Okay, Claire, who's your next one? My next one is Helmut Newton because I just love his work. Um, so um i'm sure a lot of listeners will know his work so he's got his um black and white work and his polaroid work as well as think his color polaroids because he used to do polaroids actually because he did a lot of fashion work didn't he and he worked for vogue he was a staple of vogue wasn't he and um he and i just think it's great because it's his black and white work and it's i love how he juxtaposes stuff and so he has these i love the glamour of his pictures but then there's always something going on and I think the women look fabulous. They're glamorous, but they're quite strong as well. And I just love it all. Um, and obviously his Polaroids that he used to test out his fashion shoots, they're all great. And again, I think he's a master of, um, I think his images, first of all, I think they're really well thought out. You know, the settings, hotels or streets, the colours he uses, the, the, the dresses, he, how he dresses them up. It's all really well thought out. Um, and, you know, there's little stories going on, isn't there? Little sort of things going on. But I, I love his work. I think it's really strong. And it's kind of, you know, it's erotically charged as well, isn't it? But I, I love it all. Well, yeah. it's one of the things he's famous for, isn't it, in, in his work is is the, yeah, erotically charged is a good way of putting it, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, some of it is some of it is quite blatant, <laughs> but but a lot of it is actually very suggestive rather than blatant. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, there's it, it's uh, yeah, and some of it is just sort of you know powerful imagery, you know, look a look in the eye and things like that, and and you know uh, other bits of it are uh, yeah, yeah, naked women. It's, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, but it's more than that. I think it's more than that. I think it's more than that. I just lo I love how he tells a story as well, and and the, the point of view that we get. Um, from, you know, I I just love. There's nothing I don't like about Helmut Newton's work. <laughs> I love it all. I've okay. tried to cut. I've I've failed miserably. Always a critical reception. <laughs> hey, you see, always a thought out critical reception with you with all stuff in the I love everything about this. <laughs> Yeah, there's nothing I don't like. I mean, some of his work. I mean, look at that. You know, one of his classic images are, you know, the the the, the model in the um, in the bunny ears on top of the skyscrapers. It's kind of brilliant because it's kind of really simple. In some ways, it's really simplistic. You know, it's simple, but it's powerful at the same time, isn't it? Because his backdrops are always fascinating. I think where he sets and stages his work are always really interesting, and I think that. You know, a lot of the models, well, models are like actresses, aren't they? You know, they, they act, I think, and, and they're really good at what they do. And so they look fabulous. And, and, and you know, he's got some great pictures of, um, you know, well-known, well-known, well-known people. Um, yeah, I just love his work. Is there an image? I'm just thinking, is there an, you know, you know his work, Ed. Is there a particular image that you like? Um, I think whilst I, I seem to 
you know, it's, this is one of the reasons I like these kind of conversations because you know it, it exposes the gaps in my in my education. Um, so I'm I could sort of form a mental image of 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 some of what Helmut Newton's work looks like, but I, I wouldn't say I in any way have a, a good understanding of it or or a good appreciation of it perhaps i mean there are there are a couple that i would say uh that you know as i look through them i go oh yeah i i recognize that so so yes there's the um there's the the, the playboy model you know bunny uh photograph with with with, with the new york I assume it's new york mm. <laughs> uh backdrop uh then um you know there's there's the work with grace jones um yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, somewhere in the back of my brain, I knew that Helmut Newton had photographed Grace Jones, and there were some very striking images that came out of that. So, yeah, yeah, so, so that sort of stuff. But I was, you know, less aware as I'm scrolling through a whole bunch of Helmut Newton pictures at the moment. Um, I wasn't aware that, uh, you know, for example, he had Charlotte Rampling uh, or yeah. David Bowie or. Yeah. Um, yeah, so so the this or, or Ralph Fiennes um, mm. uh, in in his pre Voldemort days, while well, he still had loads of hair and was a, a young, good looking young man. Um, so yeah, it's so yeah. This again, this is this is great. This is why I love these conversations, as I said, because yeah, I learn so much. And there's always an interesting something narrative that obviously he's thought he's thought. I think they're always well thought out and executed. And there's a story going on. So there's like one image where there's just like you see there's a TV playing in the background and there's like a man lying on the floor and you're thinking, what's happened to him? Is he is he alive? Is he dead? What's happened? And then you just see a woman's legs with her heels on. So and you just you just think, what's going? You know, it's a story. It's I just love how he sets up these these scenes um and they're a bit film noiry at times and they're a bit you know yeah they're great is... i think they're really great and yeah and i love how he has used as well you know some well-known people and put them into a picture and they've, they're playing a part aren't they yeah I, I just think his work's great and but it's really well thought out i think you can see it, it everything's been really really well thought out it, it, it is it's definitely i mean it's all it's all it's you know yes it's all very you know very uh t technically you know uh thought th thought through and planned and, and and executed brilliantly um and it's i don't even know if if this is right or not but i the mental image i had if you'd said to me what does a helmet newton picture look like i'd say it'd be very contrasty probably got some very well sculpted bodies in it either male or female probably you know uh, probably you know if sometimes it feels like he's, he's he's taken burlesque but brought it out of the sort of dark and dingy nightclub mm. and put it in the bright sunlight almost down at the beach or in, yeah. the, middle, or in the middle of the city or something like that and, yeah. and made it really really uh the the the, sh the sharp shadows and the you know you yeah. know the the very stark lighting i think know, he does is... use a lot of hard light for mm. like that reason and it's effective and his use of lighting is great um and, and also, if you look at his Polaroid work with the colours, again, you can really see that everything's been really thought out. Um, it's interesting, though, because I know that I was reading about him because I've got a couple of his books. So I know that he was, you know, he's he's trained and he was really, he was technically, apparently, you know, very technically able photographer. But apparently a lot, he claimed, I read an interview, and I don't know if this is true or he was embellishing, we'll never know. Mm -hmm. But... Um, 
he was like saying that um and i thought oh he's giving us all hope here now he didn't shoot a lot of this work that I, we're talking about and i love he claimed that he shot with you know a, um a, a cheap canon camera that as he said himself it was like what he said amateurs would use or you know cheap canon cameras and he said a lot of the time and this is the bit i thought i read it and i thought really he said that he had it on automatic he didn't even bother you know he didn't use manual and that he had it on you know the green the green auto mode that he reckoned that he had it on that and it's I mean, P it for professional be, isn't it he could it could be true because he reckoned that if if he didn't he he was shooting in the moment and and i kind of thought wow that's really inspiring but it could be true but i suppose he knew he's we know he's technically able but then if you look at how he set every picture up yeah everything considered in there the set the poses the costumes the composition so he's a master of all those components so when you're that good with all that stuff you could I mean, probably get away with it because well, I can't fault his, you know, I just think his work is just, to me, you know, really I, I, inspirational. I think it's a know? bit, given the nature of his work, I think it's a little bit disingenuous because, I mean, every single one of these pictures that he takes is incredibly well staged and lit totally, and positioned. Yeah. So he knows everything. So putting aside the fact that there were no green peas on, on camera when he was doing <laughs> the bulk of his work anyway, like... <laughs> The the ap the aperture and the shutter setting probably the least important things in what he's doing. I mean, like everything is is so controlled um, that like those two bits at the end is yeah. But um, but each and every one of his pictures, or at least all the ones that I've seen, are, are clearly the result of a lot of work of several people putting mm. them together, lighting them and doing everything. And they, That's they a really knew, good point, yeah. They knew every detail of what was needed where. Was... There, there was there was no... I mean, and if you've got all of the setup like that, then could you point a camera at it at automatic and it would probably get what you want? Maybe, yeah, sure. I mean, these cameras are real <laughs> smart. But, but as with all things, because most of his work was um, black and white, it's also then, as we talked about earlier, that thing of, well, yeah, then it's down to what the printer does with it and because his it, as you were saying Ed, about his contrasty pictures um and the fact that the when clothes are worn within them they are you know they're generally black or white you know there's yeah it, it is, he understands that yeah yeah it, it, it is very his pictures are not in terms of the nudity or the sexual content but they are very graphic representations of the world yeah. mm. they are you know they are almost um heading towards being kind of like uh um, illustrations, you know, you could see people doing this yeah. with pen and ink. They are um, productions, aren't they? They yeah. are. They're, they're they're almost more images than they are photographs. Crafted <laughs> images. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just great. And I love the. I love his. Like you say, how he pulls your eye in. You know, they've got a story, and sometimes you're seeing it. You feel like you're complicit in those pictures, just the way he stages things and sets things up. And um, I love as well how um, some of the images you just see, like there's a there's an image I haven't got it up here to to look at, but I know it's one of my favourites, and it's a one a model against. Um, she looks like she's in, I don't know where she could be. It's a hot country. You're describing it very well it's so far. Keep going. Yeah, so she's in. Um, she's on one of these like whitewashed, um, little whitewashed 
beach um little houses by the beach one of the a wall i don't know where she is it could be somewhere like a morocco or it could be mm -hmm. southern spain and um it's, it's got the harsh light again the contrast that the sun and she's been she's obviously dressed in black and she's got her stockings from behind and we just see the legs we see the shoes the legs and i think up to the waist but it's such a brilliant and she's leaning against the wall and even the way he set her legs up the way her legs are positioned, it's just brilliant. Damn. There you go. Look, look it up. I wish can... I could have been around and, uh, and I what? said, please, can I, can I, can I um, hold your camera film? <laughs> please, can I hold your camera film? Brilliant. Yeah, I think <laughs> yeah. that would be a very useful I'll pass it to you so I can be, uh, just watch what, how, he, how he does it and see the world in action. Yeah. yeah. I think he's great. I love his work. He's one of my favourite photographers. There you go. Cool. Good stuff. Mm. Some good picks tonight. As the eagerly listeners may have picked up on, somebody didn't do their homework for this show. <laughs> You'll never guess who it was. <laughs> but, um, but, <laughs> but there you go. But I think that was really interesting. I think it's good to be um, to look at these uh, photographers, and I, I hope it kind of encourages people if they weren't already familiar. I mean, many of them may have been, but if they weren't, go and check them out because there's some awesome work being done by these people. Being done by these people, it's not still being done. Mm -hmm. I think they are. Uh, with the exception of Mr. Eggleston, uniformly dead at this point. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It, it, do you know what? It's been really hard, actually, uh, to choose two, um, mm. you know, for this. So uh, I don't know, Claire, yeah, with you, agree with this, but it's like if I wanted to choose two photographs, two photographers to, t to talk about, uh, who, who would I choose and why? Um, and you could, uh, well, I mean, there, we could talk for days or weeks or months couldn't we about various different photographers but yeah. i thought you know i thought yeah. i'd try and choose just two and try try not to make a big thing about it not get stuck up i'm not saying that these are my favorite two or or that you know that uh that, that they are um that there's any you know uh ranking going on here or, or any judgment going on here these are just two photographers that that i thought mm. do you know what? it would make an interesting conversation but hey and it did and it has and it still is <laughs> But Graham, you have brought something to yeah. the show, surely. I've brought something to the show, which is my ability to click on the email tab because we've got a couple of emails. <laughs> Do you know what? Of all of us that are associated with this podcast, you are the only one that has the ability to read the emails. Nobody well, you, you say the only one that has the ability. I'm the only one. <laughs> you guys could absolutely do it. <laughs> I could. Do you have the ability? But, but the demonstrably, we can't. Demonstrably, I mean, yeah, otherwise exactly. we would have done it by now, wouldn't we? You would have thought so. You would have thought so. So yeah, we've got a couple of emails in response to last week show this first one is from alex morrison uh, afternoon sunbeams i've just listened to your back in the saddle slash average to mediocre show first things first oh incidentally that's why i titled the show just in case you think he's being mean to us um first things first i'm fairly sure black on white camera repairs in bristol do cine cams so that's for you there Claire. oh yeah oh nice um it's not listed on their site but i'm sure i saw one and a generous handful of enlargers also not listed the last mm. time i popped in there they've done a cracking job on a handful of lenses and are highly recommended so that's good that's black on white camera repairs in bristol you asked in your show why we take photos for me it's partly a memory box i've been lucky enough to live all over the world and i've always taken lots of photos of wherever i am some of these are displayed on my walls i can see 10 from my perch on the sofa 
and the vast majority of my Flickr albums cycle through the display on my TV when it's not being actively used. It's also in part striving for beauty and possibly even art in preserving these memories. But possibly more importantly, the process itself is my version of meditation. I make no pretense at being a competent, let alone good, large, medium or small format photographer. I make even fewer claims about being a competent darkroom printer. But the time I spend on these hobbies, I think about almost nothing else. Work, COVID, family and other stresses just fade into the background of being present in the here and now. It's my Zen time and my meditation combined. I might not be good for photography, but photography is good for me. And that is why I will keep kissing frogs until I'm halfway competent. All the very best, Alex. Uh, that's great. Very good. Yes. And I agree with, uh, or I uh, empathize with all that Alex has said within Yeah, that. yeah, yeah, definitely. So, very well put. Okay. And the next one, he says, hang on a second, I had this literally just two seconds ago. It's from Nick Lyle uh, from the um, Homemade Camera Podcast. Oh, my God, my brain failed on me then. The Homemade Camera <laughs> Podcast. Uh, Sunny16, here follows a bunch of random reactions to questions you raise on the podcast. If only I would follow a few of my own suggestions. I share the tendency to press shutters compulsively and without much of a plan. Oh, these are all these are all very random reactions. If you are if you are rash enough to read any of this on the podcast, feel free to skip any of the more embarrassing paragraphs. <laughs> no way. Um, if any of this doesn't make sense, just ask Claire to explain it. She evidently worked all this out long ago. Uh, okay, we will do that. I think we should have a, a section of the show called Claire Explains. Um, I identify with your discussion about the compulsion to make photographs and especially with Graham wanting to say more with the photos we all seem compelled to make. There is something about the mechanical ease of making photos that doesn't leave enough time to think about the stuff that makes the photos into art. But I do think it all does come down to having something to say. First, I want to say that your excellent podcast shows that you already have plenty to say. <laughs> you might try thinking of photography as a way to generate illustrations of the many things you do have to say and things you experience every day. Does your own life seem too dull? Go ahead and lie. Make up a better version and photograph that. See, I think that's exactly what you Isn't do. Isn't that right, what Instagram's Claire? for? <laughs> Yeah, but I think that's like that's kind of exactly what you do, isn't it, Claire? Really, what's that? You make up your own life, and you know, you make up a different life and take pictures of it. Yeah, 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 I do. Yeah, yeah. Mm. There you go. <laughs> I think the greatest strength of photography <laughs> is as illustration. Think of photographs of illustrations that go with stories. Make photos in swarms that work towards a narrative. After a while, a body of many such illustrations will assume a life of its own and will start demanding specific images to fill out the story. The cumulative power of many images with things to say to each other breathes complexity and eventually depth. The stupid 29th century prejudice against illustration as an art form is waning. A lot of the mm -hmm. best younger artists are embracing illustration again. 
It helps the 29th century prejudice. Is that the 20th century prejudice? Or am I, did I miss a few years? I mean, it's been weird, but um, anyway, where was I? It helps to take your focus off the mythical, self-sufficient and singular image. Any great show, book or retrospective makes it clear that groups of related images have more power than a single photo. Don't think too hard about the photograph. Ansel Adams and his pre-visualisation are the wrong way to go. Pre-visualisation is a useful training exercise, but the need for such rigid control can stifle creativity. I just want to tie this back very quickly, actually, to um, Bill Eggleston, who we were talking about before, because one mm. of the things, I know you mentioned this, Aidan, I think you said anything, is that he only ever took one picture of each thing and moved on. So he'd be out walking around and he'd say it was of a dustbin, he'd take one picture of that dustbin and then move on. He wouldn't mm. work it. Aid likes breaking pixels, also known as the Holger way. This is a tool for removing distracting details in favour of distilled emotionality. That's why you do it, right, Aid? Um, a lot apparently. Of, apparently. A lot of the best photography succeeds by simplifying the visual experience so that only the most interesting or emotionally stimulating elements remain. Playing with light is where the photograph. Pho, sorry, playing with light is where photography comes closest to music. It's all about wavelengths, dynamics, and harmonics in both instances. This is the part of these art forms that is pure physics. I guess recording this stuff is an end in itself, but I get more interested when the physics connects to a wider story. It is always good to try starting from a dialogue with someone, whether or not they contribute actual images. Collaboration is extra work, but very productive. A Graham of Thrones, which we talked about last week, is a great image because it illustrates the peculiarities that run through that fantasy series, a thoroughly modern soap opera in spite of its pseudo-medieval trappings. That may seem like a stretch, but what if you made many more such portraits? Perhaps make a series of photos of your friends and neighbours or random strangers presented as fantasy characters, but shown as they actually live in the here and now. Sir Lancelot of the Suburbs. Arthur, King of New Jersey. <laughs> Sorry, he says, I don't know any actual Game of Thrones characters. <laughs> this is what made Life of Brian so great. The problem of triteness is real but unavoidable. The great themes have been around forever and are therefore cliches, but it is often best to go ahead and tell the same old stories, reimagining them through the lens of where we are now. It can really help to back up and look at these stories as they were told in a more distant past and then think of how the story would play out today. Aid, don't worry about imitation. Everything in the natural world throughout history is and uh, has always been, there's some layers missing, imitation. It is, I'm just saying that to make it sound like I'm not a complete idiot at reading. It is also true that nothing ever quite repeats. None of this matters. Retelling the same old stories afresh is what we all do, but it needn't be boring. I cracked up when Aid managed to be self-deprecating about being self-deprecating. <laughs> Claire has all this word. Did, did I do that? You did, yes, you did. Oh. That's very British. It's peak Britishness. Claire has all this word. She is telling and illustrating a never-ending story. Never-ending story. 
Uh, the parallels with cinematography. You're welcome. The parallels with cinematography are clear. And what is a film? It's a stream of closely related photos that illustrate a story. Keep up the great podcasts, Nick Lyle. Oof. Thank you very much, Thanks, Nick. Nick. That was great. There's a lot of really yeah. uh, good, thoughtful stuff in there. Uh, do you guys have anything you would like to pick up in particular? Uh, there was a bit of a stream of consciousness email, that one. Mm, I um, love it. I felt, I felt yeah, like I it, yes. Um, can I say apologies for being self-deprecating? <laughs> Oh my god! You were the watch you. You're gonna, you're gonna, there's gonna be an implosion of self-deprecatoryness. Um, uh, yeah. So, well, the story thing. So let, let's talk about stories, shall we? Because there's a theme running through all of that about stories. I, I, uh, I I'm inclined to agree, actually. Um, that uh, you know, not every photo needs to stand on its own. Uh, and actually stories can be really, really powerful. Uh, and, and you can take that from, you know, the, the theory of, of, you know, uh, the sorts of shots that you would make in a film, you know, an establishing shot, a mid shot, a close up, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and, and how those play a role in setting the scene and focusing on individuals and, and particular things, uh, and how different cinematographers use those in a different order or whatever to create effect. You could talk all about, all about that. Um, or you could talk about photo books, and how yeah uh, how how to create a flow in a photo book how to you know did, is every shot in a photo book a hero shot um possibly not is every song on an album an absolute classic possibly not um so yeah i i think it's it, when i on the the occasions when i've tried to think in terms of a body of work mm. um often associated with a trip perhaps um or yeah and that, not necessarily a long trip it could be simply a day out right it could be yeah what what do i want to do to tell the story of the day out you know or, or what have you um then uh, you know, if you, if you photograph with that in mind, if you set out to do that sort of thing, then yeah, you will you will do different things. You will make different images, and and maybe not many of them would stand alone as hero shots, but together they they are greater than the sum of the parts. So, there are my slightly rambling responses to the stream of consciousness email. <laughs> <laughs> Does any of that make any sense to anybody? Absolutely. Claire, anything you want to pick up on from that email? Oh, no. I was just thinking of the hero shot, um, A, talking about the hero shot, and it was making me think of... It's it's um, it's a bit like a, an album, isn't it? It'd be great if we could, rather than keep our photos, if we, you know, like we... The amount of volume of photos that people take on a daily basis usually stay on the phone. We've had these conversations before. But I'm sure if we could see photos printed out on walls um, more frequently um, by all sorts of different photographers. It's a bit like an album. If you buy an album, we all know the hit song or the hit, you know, the hit track and, you know, you like it, but it soon wears off you. And quite often it's that fourth track that you don't notice at first you play it and then you play your album a bit more and that track really warms and you can, and, you know, you were saying about, so some of your photos that you pick up and you think, oh, that's a hero shot straight away. I bet you if you had them pinned on your wall, you start thinking, mm, I like this one, and that would overtake. Am I making sense? Am I digressing? Yeah. So, so some people would say that the best track on Zep 4 is Stairway to Heaven. 
but oh, I prefer the Battle of Evermore and going to California. I say, uh, yeah, because those are the ones that have stood the test of time for me. As I've listened to that album year after year after year, right? I could, that was just the first one that came yeah. into my head. Uh, there, there will be many, many others. Mm. Um, you know, na- name an album, and if I've got it, I'll probably have a, a few on which are my favourite mm. songs on it after listening to it for years and years and years in the pop and not the singles, right? So. And it's in, you know, and you know the other point um, he was saying about how um, a group of images is more powerful, is it, than than one image? Is that mm-hmm. what he was saying? But in, I was thinking when he when I was thinking on that, I was thinking when I went to see um, in the Tate Modern one year they had a retrospective on they had a big Andy Warhol exhibition and it was absolutely brilliant. You know, seeing all the work. I don't know if you you went along to it in the Tate Modern and they had another one just before lockdown but anyway that's an example of the you know that repetition of the one thing the one image mm-hmm. but you know displayed what in nines or sixes yeah 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 um, it's really really powerful and when you see it when I saw it you know in in uh, in real life if you like it was really really powerful so maybe there is something of one image but being repeated <laughs> Andy Warhol style yeah, so that makes. Sense. I mean, the the and the, sorry, I, I, I'm going to just seeing as it is relevant. It's this is the thing that we've talked about ad nauseum before, um, but you know, not for a while maybe, um, but it's because it is completely relevant. This is an exhibition um, that Aid and I went to see a long, long time ago before we were even doing this podcast, uh, which was the exhibition of work of Paddy Summerfield, uh, the mother Mm. and father book that he did. Mm. We went to see it in uh, the slideshow of his work in the garden of his parents. And this book, for people that don't know, is essentially photographs of the last years of his parents' his mother's life and his parents well his mother and his father's life them together and it's mostly pictures of them out in the garden taken at a distance and this is not a book of hero shots and this book does not work as individual images at all um but as a string of images put together because this is the thing unlike a record you don't have 10 pictures you have as many pictures as there are in the book you know 30 40 whatever so you and what this book does as it's going through in the, in a way that is almost inexplicable it it builds up a bow wave of emotion behind it so that when you get to the end of it having gone through all of these non-hero shots that you think aren't having any impact on you you get to the end and suddenly you get hit by this absolute wave of emotion that is yeah. overpowering um, yeah. And that is that is the best example of that kind of work that I have personally ever mm-hmm. seen, mm-hmm. Um, and it, it but, sticks with me very much to this day. Um, so yeah, the, the, it's the sort of stuff that that sneaks up on you. Yes, yes. I think I said it's... before I, I took that book up to. I'm sure I said this before. I took that book up to um, my mum's the Christmas I got it for like, the Christmas I got it. And my mum had no prior context for it. She hadn't been to see the work in the garden, whatever. And she just sat in the kitchen, just leafing through this book, as one does. Mm. And she just got to the mm. end and burst into tears. And you just think, holy shit. Yeah. That, that mm. is some powerful storytelling through imagery. Yeah, no definitely. words, no nothing, just pictures. Um, mm. Mm. So, yeah. 
Yeah, that's yes, that's yeah. I was, I, I, I was, I, 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 I had something I thought I was going to say to follow that, but I think it's going to sound a little bit weak now. But it's a call back to to Corinne Day, whose whose photography we were talking about earlier on. Um, I talked a lot about the, the the work she done in fashion. I talked less about the the work she done with musicians. Um, some of the musicians she worked with read like a, a who's who of the nineteen nineties. I mean, you know, who remembers, for example uh i don't even know where to start i'll just read them in order but she she's focused she she's photographed uh oasis beck the foo fighters ian brown jamiroquai moby mm. she shot the album cover for play mm, in the one with moby that. right uh, which i didn't know until uh until uh, yeah a short while ago um pete doherty mm-hmm. placebo primal scream sean Ryder, the chili peppers the cranberries yeah, yeah, but uh, and sorry, the reason for bringing that up uh, is, is because some some of these that that she has on the website are actually you know full magazine articles that yeah you know, with with uh you know with stories and words and so attached, um, and you can see you can look at some of those and although it's a, a, a clearly a different level than the book you just mentioned, Graham, you could still see that some of those shots just wouldn't mean anything in isolation. Um, yeah, they 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 don't say a, a huge amount in isolation. Uh, one example being uh, a spread for the Faith magazine of the Chili Peppers in '92. Mm. So they're all still looking fairly youthful at that point. Uh, plenty of shots of you know of Anthony Kiedis and and Flea and, and others mucking around. I guess one of them is Frushanti, but I don't actually know what mm. he looks like. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I probably should know that he's a very good, good, very talented guitarist. But some of the shots, you know, are clearly of them, and other shots are just, you know, uh, uh, you know, would mean less, like just splashes in the swimming pool and things like that. So it's there, there's stuff going on around storytelling um, at all sorts of levels, and I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely, it's uh, that's an art form in its own right, isn't it? Certainly is. Shall we wrap it up? Because we've already wrapped it on mm. for longer than we intended to, <laughs> especially with you feeling poorly, aid. Ah, well, you know, I, I, I'm a, I'm a professional. You know, I uh, actually, who am I kidding? No, I'm all right. But thank Not you. Not me. But we probably have, we probably have rambled on plenty. I know that I have. I've given. I feel like I've given the rambling a good go today. <laughs> <laughs> I don't feel like Claire's got enough digressions in this evening. But I've yeah. digressed. I've digressed loads. I know. <laughs> we've talked about photography today. They, like, we've genuinely talked about lots of photography mm. today. Mm. Yeah, and right. I got in Colombo. <laughs> and you got in Colombo. Colombo yeah. is oh, it's fantastic. Is, is underrated. Totally. Not not by you, obviously, Claire, but by no. many people, Colombo is, is <laughs> underrated. Yeah. I I put it right up there with the Rockford Files, which is an awesome an awesome TV mm. program, which is one of my dad's favourites. Um, that's a, my my love of the Rockford Files comes. Well, definitely these all from come on. These sorts of programs all appear, don't they? At, you know, early morning or something on 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 holiday seasons. So you've got to keep your eyes. No, open. see, see, see. In my situation, the only things that appear early morning <laughs> and holidays are children wanting presents <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I don't get to sit and watch the telly yeah. very often. Maybe I should get my children into Columbo. Maybe we yeah. should have a, like a Columbo family marathon. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. Who did it? Ah, uh, dear, oh dear, oh dear. Yeah, that's where Steve no Jobs more. got that from, wasn't it? That's totally, totally <laughs> where Steve Jobs got it from. Like the whole one more thing was just ripped yeah. off Columbo. <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, all right, let's get out of here. So uh, we have been the Sunday 16 podcast and I've had a lot of fun this evening chatting away and sharing some stuff about photography that I really find very interesting and enjoyable. Uh, we will play you out now with Rachel's band Rocker. You can get their album Promises I Should Have Kept on the internet because that's where most stuff comes from these days. But if you just search for it, uh, you'll find it in all good vendors of music. It's been an honour and a privilege to talk to you all. We might be back next week. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We... We'll be back at some point. If, <laughs> if yes, it, it, what we, yeah, it will be back at some point. We'll, be, we'll try and do something next. Yeah. If not, oh no, the next one would have to be like our year-end wrap-up show or something. <laughs> <isn't it? laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, yeah maybe we'll, not. We'll be back at some point with something. Maybe not. Uh, I think a look back at 2021 is probably. Let's have a look forward show. Then let's do a New Year show and look forward. Then let's make that the next one. What do uh, we expect we, to we do we in 2022? We want to play out with a fairy tale of New York. Can we play out? Which we absolutely will not be doing. That. <laughs> we we can't unfortunately, Claire, because of you know copyright and stuff. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, and although, yeah, although that... you could sing Carol of the Bells, that's safe. So if you want to do that, work <laughs> on that, Claire. Okay. <laughs> I don't even know what that sounds like, or do I? But I just don't you know what the name. Sounds invigorating. It's great. It's got a lot of oomph behind it. Unsurprisingly, can we play out with that? Do you want to play out with that? (laughs) We'll we'll save that. We'll save that. We'll come back. We'll we'll let's try and get together next week. We'll play out with Carol of the Bells. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Teaser for Carol of the Bells next time. (laughs) Is this like the Sunnies, right? Where where you always use different music for the Sunnies Awards? Yeah, (laughs) except we haven't. Oh man, we do. Yeah, well, we have the Sunnies are taken hiatus. (laughs) Sunnies are not friendly. Fair enough. All right. Uh, well then, in that case, uh, yeah. Let's thank you all and uh, speak to you soon. Goodbye. Bye. Good night.